I, uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. I have it on good authority that Connor will help you with your phone, too, if you need, if you need help with it. Also, by the way, you may have noticed that we have some new seating in the corner over here. Um, I've noticed that no, none of you have gone in yet, but we do have alternate seating for you, if you'd like, uh, in that pool over there. You ever been to, like, those... Uh, Baseball stadiums that have, like, you can watch the game in a pool. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we have those now, so uh, I'm kidding, um, obviously. But I will wait if anybody wants to go in. Does anyone? No? Okay. Uh, the reason why that pool is there is we baptized 13 people on Friday night uh, from our La Vina, and so that was just a wonderful service. That was, that was so fun to see um, on Friday in this room, just the, the, the worship, the preaching, but then just the 13 people that got baptized. Um, I think there was one whole family that got baptized too. I don't know, is that, is that right, Sam Jr.? Are you here, Sam? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, uh, it was wonderful. All right, so um, in Florence, there is a painting that, that's hanging in Florence uh, by a great Italian artist, by the great Italian artist Caravaggio. Uh, it's this painting. It's in remarkable condition. Uh, it's probably more than 500 years old. And this, of course, is the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, and it's a shocking painting for many reasons. Uh, in, in some ways, it's shocking because that's most certainly not how they looked. Um, they were not Europeans. Um, and so... It's shocking in that way, um, just to see like uh, how how they look. I mean, how they were portrayed. But 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 shocking also, though, if you look at Abraham and you look at the hand on his son's neck, and you look at the way the Caravaggio like actually made the knife, you can see that the um, the dull edge has been sharpened. And of course, there's the ram. If you see the ram, the ram's like, what about me? You know, what about me? I'm here. Um, this painting is about a very famous episode in the Bible called the Akedah. The Akedah is, is Hebrew for binding. So this is uh, about the binding of Isaac. This is how the, um, the rabbis would talk about it, the Akedah, the binding. And maybe you've heard this story because you grew up in church. If you grew up in church, uh, maybe um, you learned about this when you were in elementary school and you left church going, whoa, you know. Or maybe you heard the story because you had to read the story um, because it was in a class on existentialism, um, and you had to read a book called Fear and Trembling. Uh, maybe you've heard of The Sacrifice of Isaac because uh, it's in pop culture as well. I mean, I, I have it on good authority that the, the great icon of high culture, Family Guy, actually references it. Um, here's the thing, though. If you even have glancing familiarity with this story, the Akedah. It probably has raised for you some deep, unsettling questions. I mean, I know it has for me. Who is this God? Why would he require of Abraham this monstrous test? So... We've been looking, as you know, in Genesis, and now we have arrived at Genesis 22. Uh, and this entire series has been about beginnings. Uh, you have, I'm sure, enjoyed um, all the way from the beginning about how we've been talking about the purpose of humankind, how God intends for humankind to flourish, 
Uh, and you've also been learning about God being merciful and patient and kind. Um, he's been all about restoration. Uh, we call, have been calling that re-edening the world. Um, even from the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God has been always at his work to restore and re-eden the world. And then we get to Genesis 22, and we ask the question, well, how does that all fit in with the Akedah? So let's turn in our Bibles. If you've got your Bible, it will also be up on the screen. Uh, Genesis 22 is what we'll look at this morning. Um, in the beginning, Genesis 22, um, we'll start from verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place uh, in the distance. Uh, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, uh, said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word 
of the Lord. Now, as you can imagine, Genesis 22, this marvelous passage, uh, has been studied for centuries. Whole dissertations have been written about Genesis 22. Uh, It's been studied for years, and as it's been studied, there are almost as many questions as there are answers. There's a lot of mystery in this particular passage, but this morning I want to start with what's clear. God does not intend for Abraham to kill his son. That's clear. We know this from the end of the story. God was never going to let Abraham go through with it. The ram caught in the thicket, that's the intended sacrifice. The ram was there as an act of supernatural providence. Thus, the name of the mountain, the Lord will provide. But even more than that, we also know that although the surrounding nations, as part of their religious practice, would at times sacrifice children, that was never supposed to be part of worshiping God. Never. And how do we know that? We know that he hates it. How do we know that? We know that God detests that. We know that because written in the law in Deuteronomy 12, you read verse 31, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. The Lord hates child sacrifice. The Lord detests it. This is what is actually written in the law for the people of God. The Lord detests child sacrifice. And so God never intended for Abraham to go through with it. But no, Abraham didn't have Deuteronomy. This all happened before the law was given to Moses. But I want to argue this morning that God, I believe God was making his intentions clear to Abraham even before he brings the knife to his son's throat. I want to argue that from the text, God is making clear to Abraham, I don't want you to do this. Now, why do I say that? First of all, there's a lengthy journey, okay? So there are two calls that we know of in Abraham's life. The first call, Steve talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, Both calls begin with, Lech lecha. Okay, this is this Hebrew word, go yourself. Go yourself to a land I will show you. Um, that's his first call. Um, and his second call is go yourself to a mountain or to the region of Moriah. The only two times in the whole Old Testament that Lech lecha appears is for Abraham. Go yourself. So this call to Abraham toward the end of his life is massive, massively important. And both calls begin with this, go yourself. Both calls are sort of unclear in terms of their locations. But here's what we know about the region of Moriah. The region of Moriah shouldn't have taken three days to get there. According to uh, Jamaican scholar Richard Milton with a saddled donkey, it should have taken one day. But after three days, we read in the text that three days, Abraham sees the place in the distance So why the time? Why did 
Why did God send Abraham on a long journey? Why not ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac at home? Uh, why? Why the, why the length? Why the time? And I want to argue that maybe it's because God was giving, Yahweh was giving Abraham time to protest. Because here's the thing. This is what Abraham does. He protests. So some of you may recall that when God uh, revealed his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham, here's what Abraham does. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18, four chapters before the Akedah. Abraham is arguing with God. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Abraham uh, bargains with God. They, they have this conversation where Abraham is able to get God to agree to the number of righteous people being all the way down to 10. And God is quite happy to oblige. Protest. Consider also, uh, after this very same Isaac is born, his mother Sarah spies Ishmael, whom Brittany talked about so wonderfully last week, uh, Isaacing or laughing at Isaac. So she tells Sarah tells Abraham, send Hagar and Ishmael away. And then we read, as we talked about last week, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Now I read, but God said to him as a clue that there might have been conversation happening between Abraham and God. I mean, contrary to the other gods worshipped at the time, God actually wants to talk to his people. He wants to have conversation with his people. Uh, I believe he delighted in having conversation with Adam and Eve. I believe he wants Abraham to talk to him. I mean, this is at the core of the book of Job. Job, in the book of Job, Job's honesty, his grief... His accusations against God, if you've read the book of Job recently, you know that it's pretty disturbing, yes? This is how God, Job talks to God, and yet at the end, what we read is we read God vindicates Job. God actually says that Job has spoken rightly. God wants to talk to Abraham. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to us. I mean, consider even the Psalms. When was the last time you read the Psalms? Has anyone opened, your, opened it up and you thought like, okay, I'm going to read the book of Psalms. I need something inspiring and uplifting. Because of course, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, you know. And then you read the Psalms and you go, ooh. Because what do you find in the Psalms? You find a lot of brutal honesty in the Psalms. I mean, this is the kind of God who's so secure and so loving that he wants to talk to us. What if the journey took so long because God was waiting for Abraham to act like he had before? 
And even more than that, I, I just want to say there are clues that Abraham himself was maybe delaying the journey. Because we know that Abraham is rich, he's powerful, but we read in the text that he cuts his own wood, he saddles his own donkey, he prepares for the journey, he even builds his own altar. Why does he do that? Um, as Middleton, this rich, uh, Richard Middleton, this Jamaican scholar Richard Milton suggests they are delaying tactics. Abraham maybe wants God to change his mind, but the puzzling thing is why doesn't Abraham say anything? After all, that's what he's done in the past. Secondly, let's talk about the ram in the thicket. Abraham looked up and there in the there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Let me read again from uh, Richard Middleton. Uh, a ram is a male goat or sheep. And for its curled horns to be long enough to be caught in the thicket, it would have needed to be a fully grown specimen. A large adult ram full of testosterone would have made a huge racket trying to extricate its horns from the thicket that it was caught on. So how did Abraham not see the ram? I mean, especially if it was making a racket. I mean, why did the angel have to call to Abraham twice to get him to stay his hand and see the ram? Rams are not small. It should have been easy to see, especially if Abraham was looking for it, which sounds oddly like his intent. I mean, we might have expected Abraham to be looking for a substitute because when Isaac asks him, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham responds, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And listen, when they approach the mountain that God has designated, Abraham tells his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we, notice we, will come back to you. So if Abraham expects that God will provide a lamb and that Isaac will return with him, then why doesn't he see the ram? Here's all I'm asking us to consider. God's instruction to Abraham to sacrifice his son, we need to re-examine it. I mean, like this whole series, we've been talking about how God is compassionate and merciful, how God is not cruel and petty. And what I want to say to you this morning is this passage, Genesis 22, the binding, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac is not an exception. In fact, I believe, we believe that God is showing Abraham in multiple ways. He's very different than all the other gods in the ancient Near East. He does not desire human sacrifice, which is different. He elevates humans by inviting them into conversation and even complaint, which is different. He wants to be in love relationship with his people. God is the same God that we have been talking about this entire series. But let's turn to Abraham for a moment. Because I'm not trying to say that Abraham was wrong in trying to do what God said and sacrifice his son. 
I'm not trying to say that. I'm not departing from what the New Testament writers say about Abraham, that he's our father of faith and that he is an example to us. Um, after all, doesn't the angel actually say to Abraham that you are blessed because of your obedience? So I'm not trying to say that he's not our father of faith. What I am trying to say is that I wonder if Abraham had more options. Maybe faithfulness to the thing that God was calling to could have looked like protest, could have looked like a lament rooted in a deep understanding for God's, of God's character, recognizing that he's not like the gods of all the nations, of the other nations. Maybe all God is looking for is to see whether Abraham will turn toward him or away from him, which is a lesson to us, isn't it? we turn toward God. When things get tragically difficult, what will we do? When God asks of us something that seems impossible, will we turn toward God or will we turn away from him? And here's the other thing that Abraham teaches us. Abraham teaches us that when God calls, it's going to cost. You know, I meet people all the time that are like, I'm looking for my calling. And then uh, when I talk to them, um, I think that what I begin to discern is they're looking for two things, really. They're looking for, where do I belong? In other words, what city should I live in? Or what uh, church should I be at? Where do I belong? And what's my true purpose? And underneath those questions is this deep, sort of kind of like belief and assumption that when they find where they're truly called, they will be truly and deeply happy. I think that's why uh, people are on this hunt for their calling, because they believe that when they find their true purpose in the world, true purpose, they will be truly and deeply happy. But here's the thing. When most people find what they are truly and deeply called to, they can actually be quite miserable. How many of you have noticed that? Now, like, there's this great TV show called The Bear. Anyone watch The Bear? It's like a love poem to Chicago. So I started watching this TV show, and it's about this cook, this main character, Carmen. He's called the cook. He's gifted. Uh, it's what he's made to do. He loves it. But it also makes him miserable. And his calling actually costs them. It costs him everything, even true love, to give you a spoiler for season two. If you haven't watched it yet, I'm sorry, but, but it costs him everything. And here's what's so remarkable about Abraham. Abraham understood this. He understood that the call of God, when that call comes, it costs. He understood that. He doesn't even balk when God tells him to go and sacrifice his son. He has figured out that as Steve pointed out a couple weeks ago, God himself is the pearl of great price, and he must give everything for the pearl. Somehow, Abraham knows already what Jesus would say to his followers centuries later. Whoever wants to save their life, excuse me, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Somehow, Abraham understood that the call costs everything, which is my story. At one point, toward the end of college, 
I heard the call of God. And I answered, yes. And let me tell you, I have paid dearly for that yes. In the beginning, I thought it might cost me my family. It cost me what might have been a lucrative career. It cost me, it still cost me a lot of sleep. Uh, it's a weight that I can only bear with God's, God's help. And, and, you know, like the founder of our movement, John Wimber, uh, he puts it this way. Every time we come to cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. I think the thing that we don't often realize about this grandiose nature of calling is that calling costs us. We pay. But I think Wimber would say with me, I don't regret it. Not at all. I do not regret my yes at all. I mean, here's the lot of the people who have been called to re-Eden. We have a project manager. What's the project? It's the restoration of the entire universe. Who's in charge of the project? God himself. And when we say yes to the project of re-Edening the world, we lose everything. He's in charge. He's in charge. Abraham understood that. He understood that the God who restores could even bring his son back from the dead. But let me tell you, and here's the other thing. I mean, like, how many of you know that you have to keep saying yes? You, just, you don't just say yes once. You have to keep on saying yes. For pastors, our yes is most costly on Monday morning. We wake up and we take stock of our lives and we think, what have we given ourselves to? But we say yes, and we say yes, and we say yes again. Abraham had to say yes at least twice. We have to say yes over and over and over again, and I don't regret it because what I have found is I have found that I lose everything only to gain. I have gained so much. Things that are priceless, that you could not, could not put a price tag on. I have brothers and sisters I have friends, I have peace beyond human understanding. Uh, somehow, I have seen people actually literally get physically healed. I have seen people delivered from demonic influence. I've seen people that I had no hope for change unbelievably. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And even when I felt like my saying yes to the call of God feels like jumping off the cliff, I have found that someone's holding my hand on the way down. Because that's the other thing about Abraham. He didn't just understand that there was a cost to the call. He understood that when you say yes, there's power. Power in the call. We have Abraham who is called to do this incredibly hard thing. He's called to sacrifice his son. Well, how does he go through with it? Even up to the binding of his own son. Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us how. Here's what the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. How could Abraham do this hard thing? He could do it because he had faith in God who could even raise the dead. Now, if God appeared to me, 
in the nighttime and said, your son will be the future of humanity. Do you know what I would do? I would wrap my son in bubble wrap and never let him go out ever again. I'm serious. I would be like, no, from the rest of time, as long as I'm alive, my eyes on you. And what would that be? That would be me putting my faith in my son and putting my faith in my ability to protect my son. But Abraham didn't do that. He placed the weight of his trust on God. He put his faith in God. He didn't put his faith in Isaac or in his faith even in himself. Even on the mountain, going up the mountain, he tells Isaac, I trust God. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Because Abraham understood that the call of God would cost everything. But he did not put his faith in people to make it happen. He put his faith in the God who could raise the dead. And here's the thing. Do you know the power of the call? Do you know it? Because it will cost you everything. But as soon as you say yes, get ready because here comes the power. Here comes the power. How does the power actually come to us? I mean, this is the lesson of Abraham. There's a lamb in the thicket. God has provided us a lamb. The impossible call becomes possible because God has given us a lamb a ram in the thicket of the gnarled world, and he did not withhold his son. He gave us his son. I mean, like the apostle Paul puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how we not also along with him graciously give us, everyone say it with me, all things. What does all things mean? It means all things. It means all things. On the other side of the yes, on the other side of your call, is a God who will not withhold anything from you. And so I just, in this moment, want to ask you, have you heard the call? Have you heard the call of Abraham? What's the call on your life? Could you just bow your heads for a moment and consider what is the call? How are you calling me, God? And I want to warn you that if the call that you feel like you've heard doesn't cost you anything, it's probably not the call. But I want to invite you now in this moment. Spirit of God, come speak to us. Come call us again. Some of us need to be called for the first time. And some of us need to be called again because we need to say our yes again. So in this moment now, would you call us? Would you call us?